Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 1 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of polymyositis and dermatomyositis, found under the MSK section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 53-year-old woman with a past medical history of thyroid disease presents to her physician's office for weakness. She reports that she has been feeling weak, has difficulty climbing the stairs, and combing her hair every morning. Today, she also has difficulty arising out of her chair. Physical exam reveals decreased strength, especially in the shoulders. She also has an impressive lilac periorbital rash and a sunburn on her cheeks. She is sent for further laboratory workup and counseled on the likely initiation of high-dose steroids. Let's continue with an introduction to polymyositis and dermatomyositis. Dermatomyositis is clinically defined as an autoimmune myopathy characterized by symmetric proximal muscle weakness and a rash. There's a clinical variant which includes amyopathic dermatomyositis, that is, dermatomyositis without the myositis. And polymyositis is clinically defined as an autoimmune myopathy which is characterized by symmetric proximal muscle weakness, but no rash. In terms of epidemiology, remember that both of these diseases are rare and demographically, it tends to affect females more than males, and it typically occurs in adults between the ages of 30 and 50 years old. If it occurs in children, consider juvenile dermatomyositis. And risk factors for these diseases include drugs and physical exertion. The pathogenesis of dermatomyositis is due to an antibody-driven autoimmune disease characterized by perimyceal inflammation and atrophy, which results in muscle tissue damage. Remember that the perimyceum is closer to the skin and therefore has cutaneous manifestations, hence the suffix dermato. Also remember that it is associated with CD4 and complement activation. The pathogenesis of polymyositis involves a T-cell-driven autoimmune disease characterized by endomyceal inflammation. Remember that the endomyceum is farther from the skin and therefore has no cutaneous manifestations. Also remember that it is associated with CD8. And conditions associated with these diseases include interstitial lung disease, malignancies which may include breast or ovarian cancer, prostate cancer, or lung cancer, and other connective tissue diseases. And with regards to prognosis, remember that in dermatomyositis, there is an increased risk of malignancy, which typically develops within five years of diagnosis. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms may include progressive weakness in the hips and shoulders, dysphagia, and dysphonia due to laryngeal muscle weakness. On physical exam, dermatomyositis may demonstrate characteristic cutaneous findings, such as a photosensitive pink rash of the neck and trunk, which is referred to as the shawl or V-sign, as it often appears as a sunburn with a V-neck t-shirt. There may also be purple, lilac, or red rashes around the eyes and on the eyelids, which is referred to as a heliotrope rash, and remember that it can resemble a malar rash. One may also note raised, violaceous, slightly scaly plaques on bony prominences of the hands and elbows, which are called gatron papules. And the term mechanic hands is used to refer to the thickening of the skin on the palms and radial aspects of the digits. And in both polymyositis and dermatomyositis, one will note proximal muscle weakness in the shoulders and hips, which will present as difficulty combing hair, difficulty raising arms, and difficulty rising from a chair. With regards to other studies that may be performed, labs may demonstrate an increased creatine phosphokinase, increased creatine kinase MB, increased aldolase, and increased lactate dehydrogenase. Autoantibody tests may demonstrate a positive anti-nuclear antibody 
a positive antihistidyl tRNA synthetase antibody, also referred to as anti-JO1. This is present in about 20% of patients. There may be positive anti-signal recognition particle, which is present in about 5% of patients and is usually associated with polymyositis. There may also be anti-MY2, which is present in less than 10% of adults and is usually associated with dermatomyositis. Muscle biopsy is indicated as the diagnostic gold standard to differentiate between inflammatory and non-inflammatory myopathies. Specific findings may include degenerating muscle fibers and inflammatory infiltrates, and dermatomyositis will demonstrate perimyceal inflammation, while polymyositis will demonstrate endomyceal inflammation. And remember that when making the diagnosis, it is based on clinical presentation and laboratory studies. And with regards to the differential, make sure to think about systemic lupus erythematosus, localized scleroderma, infectious myopathy, and myasthenia gravis. And with regards to treatment, remember that the management approach for both diseases involves an initial course of steroids followed by long-term immunosuppression. Conservative treatment options include sun protection, which is indicated for all patients with dermatomyositis. Medical treatment options include high-dose systemic steroids, which are indicated for all patients with myositis as a first-line therapy, and they should be followed with a two- to four-week subsequent taper. Anti-malarial medications are indicated for patients with primarily skin manifestations of dermatomyositis, and specific drugs include hydroxychloroquine. Non-steroidal immunosuppression is indicated for refractory disease or for prevention of recurrence after steroid taper. Specific drugs include methotrexate and azathioprine. And lastly, complications related to polymyositis and dermatomyositis include cardiomyopathy and macrophage activation syndrome. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to polymyositis and dermatomyositis, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 34-year-old woman presents to her primary care physician complaining of weakness and rash for the past two months. She says her symptoms had a gradual onset at first, but over the past two weeks she has grown more concerned and she now has difficulty going up and down the stairs in her apartment. Her rash is non-pruritic and confined to her knuckles. She denies fever, chills, and changes in bowel habits, cough, or shortness of breath. Up until the onset of her symptoms, she had been an avid hiker in upstate New York. Temperature is 98.0 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.7 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 110 over 72, pulse is 88 beats per minute, and respirations are 28 breaths per minute. Physical exam demonstrates 4 minus out of 5 strength in the proximal lower extremities. She also has Gatron papules on the dorsum of her hands bilaterally. Laboratory studies will most likely demonstrate which of the following in this patient, and the answer choices are Choice 1. Anti-endomyceal antibodies Choice 2. Antihistidyl tRNA synthetase antibodies Choice 3. Antihistone antibodies Choice 4. Anti-HMG-CoA reductase antibodies or Choice 5. Anti-mitochondrial antibodies The best answer to this question is choice 2, antihistidyl tRNA synthetase antibodies. The patient's proximal muscle weakness and cutaneous findings consistent with Gatron papules are consistent with a diagnosis of dermatomyositis, which will most likely have antihistidyl tRNA synthetase antibodies. 
Dermatomyositis is an autoimmune disease characterized primarily by muscle weakness and dermatologic findings. Weakness in dermatomyositis is proximal and usually painless, and patients often complain of difficulty going up and down stairs, getting up from a seated position, and difficulty lifting objects. The dermatologic findings of dermatomyositis include a heliotrope rash, Gutron papules, V-sign, shawl sign, holster sign, and mechanic hands. While a multitude of autoantibodies has been identified in association with dermatomyositis, antigo antibodies, or antihistidyl tRNA synthetase antibodies, are the most common. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Anti-endomycelial antibodies are specific for celiac disease and are not associated with dermatomyositis. Choice 3. Antihistone antibodies are highly sensitive for drug-induced lupus and are not used in the diagnosis of dermatomyositis. Choice 4. Anti-HMG-CoA reductase antibodies have been implicated in patients with severe necrotizing statin-mediated myopathy, not dermatomyositis. Choice 5. Anti-mitochondrial antibodies are seen in primary biliary cirrhosis, not dermatomyositis. Finally, a bullet summary. Antihistidyl tRNA synthetase antibodies, also known as anti-GO antibodies, are associated with dermatomyositis. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 42-year-old man presents to clinic complaining of increasing difficulty climbing stairs and standing up from sitting in his chair. On exam, you perceive that his strength to be 5 out of 5 distally, but only 3 out of 5 in the proximal muscle groups bilaterally. There is a distinctive rash on his upper eyelids and around his eyes. Examination of the fingers is most likely to reveal which of the following. And the answer choices are Choice 1. Dactylitis Choice 2. Enlargement of the PIP Choice 3. Ulnar deviation of the fingers Choice 4. Nail pitting with oil spots Or Choice 5. Violaceous papules over the MCP, PIP, and DIP The best answer to this question is Choice 5. Violaceous papules over the MCP, PIP, and DIP. The patient's presentation is most consistent with dermatomyositis, an autoimmune disease characterized by proximal muscle weakness and cutaneous manifestations, including heliotropic rash and gutron papules. Gutron papules are violaceous scaly patches that overlay the MCP, PIP, and DIP joints. The typical dermatomyositis patient is a woman in her 40s to 60s who presents with hip or shoulder weakness and may have concurrent dysphonia or dysphagia. Patients with dermatomyositis show elevated serum creatine kinase and muscle biopsy shows lymphocytic infiltrate. Serum ANA is positive in less than 30% of patients and is nonspecific. Anti-GO antibodies are a more specific marker. Patients who develop dermatomyositis over the age of 50 should warrant increased clinical suspicion for underlying malignancy. A study by Kohler et al. reviews dermatomyositis. While the etiology of dermatomyositis remains unknown, it is frequently seen in individuals with other connective tissue disorders and can signal the presence of an underlying malignancy. Disease management includes evaluation to rule out malignancy, systemic corticosteroids, and sunscreen for skin manifestations. Polymyositis is a similar idiopathic inflammatory myopathy that does not have skin involvement. A study by Robinson et al. reviews the manifestations of dermatomyositis in the pediatric population. 
While there is some overlap in between adult and juvenile dermatomyositis, they are considered separate entities with distinct features. Juvenile dermatomyositis presents with more vasculopathy than adult dermatomyositis. Additionally, juveniles are also less likely to develop interstitial lung disease or have an associated malignancy. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Dactylitis, or sausage fingers, is associated with psoriatic arthritis. Choice 2. Enlargement of the PIP, also known as boutonniere's deformity, is often seen in rheumatoid arthritis. Choice 3. Ulnar deviation is often seen in rheumatoid arthritis. And choice 4. Nail pitting with oil spots are characteristically seen in patients with psoriasis. That's all for this review about polymyositis and dermatomyositis. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here, on the MedBullets Step 1 podcast.